This episode is produced by Sue Ackridge, who sent in a $25 donation, and you can listen to the end of the show to learn how you can support the podcast. This is episode 41 of the History of Podcast. I'm Robert. I'm Sam. And today's episode is about the history of cryptocurrencies. Now, uh, like one day, Sam came up to me in school and he's like, you, you got to look at this. Uh, it's Safe Moon, And it's like this super tiny cryptocurrency that uh, you're like, if it goes to one cent, we'll be millionaires. And uh, yeah, well, we almost bought Safe Moon, Never actually bought Safe Moon, But here we are. Turns out it's an actual, actually very complicated system yeah, to have, get yeah. in. It's like you have to you have to buy a, a different cryptocurrency and then like trade it, and it's it's way too complicated. I don't know. Maybe you can buy it. We'll see. But alas, we're glad you're tuning in. Did you know that summer is starting because you listen to this podcast? It actually it only works though if you listen to this in late spring. Um, but to start, I have the egg carton count. And this week's egg carton count is 50. Now, uh, we'll get into kind of kind of a, a developing story to start about cryptocurrencies. Actually, saw this in the newspaper this morning. Is Elon Musk, the same person who caused Bitcoin to spike in January when he bought $1.5 billion of it recently, uh, as of recently as of this recording, tweeted that Tesla is selling its Bitcoin investment, and you should too. So now a bunch of cryptocurrencies are plummeting because everyone's selling them. But I promise, cryptocurrencies have not always been manipulated by Elon Musk's tweets. In fact, this episode is somewhat a continuation of the Fractional Reserve Banking episode. If you want to get caught up on that, you can listen to episode 27. And if you have a short attention span, you can listen to episode 33. And a big concept I left out of the Fractional Reserve Banking episode was the Austrian, uh, also known as the Classical School of Economics, versus the Keynesian School of Economics. And since the 19th century, scholars had accepted that economies are driven by supply. And classical or Austrian economic thought can be summed up in Say's Law, which presents that first, suppliers produce goods, then they sell those products for money. So pretty intuitive when you think about it. But in other words... Money is a representation of wealth coming out of material supply. And this was all challenged by one English economist, John Maynard Keynes. And in 1936, he wrote The General Theory of Employment, Interest, and Money. And I have it linked in the description if you're into that. But basically, John Keynes reordered the steps of Say's Law and proposed that, contrary to popular belief, an economy is driven by demand. And this was a big deal, and it really gets into how the dollar works and how it still works today. But just know that the dollar is a representation of debt, and what makes cryptocurrencies, I don't, I'm not exactly sure about all cryptocurrencies, but I do know about Bitcoin, what makes them so special is that they fall under the Austrian school of economics. And so they, they represent uh, an abundance instead of a debt. Okay, that's enough background for now. In the 1980s, truckers and gas stations had a problem with cash robberies. So to solve this problem, truckers were given smart cards with cash credit on them. In 1983, David Shum invented what is called the blinding formula. It's the predecessor to blockchain. 
Sean was working at CWI, an information research center in Amsterdam. There, he founded DigiCash, which made use of his blinding formula. Ironically, the company of DigiCash ended up going bankrupt because it tried to work its way through banks and never fully realized the feasibility of decentralized money. And a company called First Virtual came along, but its drawback was that transactions could only be made from customers to merchants. And this was when electronic money um, was really put on a libertarian face, uh, emphasizing the free will of the individual. And a company called Confinity Incorporated was founded in 1998 by Ken Howery. Uh, Ken Howery, uh, Luke Nozick, uh, Peter Thiel, and Max Levchin. And Confinity was similar to First Virtual, but it was, it, it's, it was set apart by allowing peer-to-peer transactions. So enter Elon Musk, the big name in <laughs> cryptocurrencies who we already talked about before. Um, but he had a similar digital banking uh, service called X.com. And first, Virtual merged with X.com to create PayPal. And that's where Elon Musk really got a lot of his money uh, for, for Tesla and SpaceX. And also in July 2002, eBay acquired PayPal, which made paying for things on eBay a lot more streamlined. But that's all the history we need for, for PayPal. Let's get to the digital gold trend. The biggest company in trend was eGold. How it worked was you gave your physical gold to eGold and they would give you credit for the amount of gold in your name. That better be full reserve. It's a classical way of viewing money, but it streamlines how you trade gold. Unfortunately, there are a lot of scams involved with digital gold and eGold's Florida offices were raided in 2005 and put an end to that. And so let's get back to 9-11 and the heightened security and paranoia that followed and cryptocurrencies began to be looked at as a, secu- a security issue post 9-11 for fear of criminals and terrorists making covert transactions. So cryptocurrencies, they really waned in America after 9-11. This is partly why Bitcoin was successful. It rose into a space with no initial competition in America. Bitcoin was created in 2008 by the anonymous Satoshi Nakamoto. The original white paper was called Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer electronical cash system. A white paper is just a formal report explaining a novel or complex topic. The white paper laid out blockchain, proof of work, hashing, and all that good stuff. You can find plenty of explanations of all those things all over the internet, or you can just read the original Bitcoin white paper for yourself. It's linked in the description. And there are still some things that I need to define on the show to better understand the basic concept behind Bitcoin. If you could guess, Bitcoin... It's not backed by gold or silver, but its quantity is uh, still stable, so the total number of bitcoins will never rapidly inflate or deflate. In fact, the total number of bitcoins is approaching 21 million, and that number will never be exceeded. And bitcoin, like I said earlier, is not a a representation of debt. It's a a medium of of exchange between goods, so the intuitive way of thinking about uh, money but there, there are a few catches that make cryptocurrencies different uh, from just trading pieces of gold. First, to counter, uh, counter to what the name cryptocurrency implies, transactions are recorded by all other Bitcoin users, which makes fraudulent transaction nearly possible. That, that uh, recording of the transaction is just uh, of the nature of blockchain. And ironically, these recordings are lengthy and in binary, 
So they're nearly impossible for a human to interpret, uh, but this opens the gate to criminal use of cryptocurrencies, as we said just a minute ago. Um, and second, Bitcoin does not have the same legitimacy that the dollar does. It's classified as an inside money, which is a category of monies that hold their value by connecting themselves to an established currency. In other words, Bitcoin lies in the same category as coupons. And this is this is changing, though, because uh, Tesla accepts Bitcoin as payment. Um, and also, Iceland has already accepted its own nationally recognized cryptocurrency known as the e-krona. And third, Bitcoin does not have any commodity value. It actually doesn't even physically exist, if you could guess. So it literally has no practical use. Even paper dollar bills are in themselves worth something, be it a negligible amount like serving as wallpaper or kindling a fire. Uh, but this is this is an unprecedented issue, and some say the com- uh, commodification of cryptocurrencies is feasible. But that would be a little too far of a rabbit hole for this episode. And fourth, Bitcoin is completely decentralized, and it can only be voided two ways. And like the internet, it can be terminated if every stakeholder individually terminates his digital wallet, but that scenario is unrealistic. The second scenario um, has already happened uh, in governments like Ecuador, who, uh, which have outlawed Bitcoin, or they can just fail to recognize its value. And fifth, cryptocurrencies are abounding. So we have Dogecoin, SafeMoon, Ethereum, Litecoin, the list goes on. And each varies slightly from Bitcoin as to what goes on under the hood, but the general concept is the same. And we get into something called a fork. As a cryptocurrency grows and more people jump on the wagon, the system starts to slow down or run into kinks that weren't a problem before. Sometimes, developers might alter the way the currency works to improve things. You cannot change an entire currency at once, but a portion of it may be updated, resulting in a fork. And there are two kinds of forks, soft forks and hard forks. Soft forks are only a minor change in the protocol or blockchain technology and can still work within the currency. For example, if the designer on the dollar bill is updated, it is still accepted as a dollar bill alongside the old one. That's a soft fork. But in a hard fork, the change or update is so minor that it creates a whole new currency, and it's not compatible with the old one. And in August 2017, Bitcoin forked into the old Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash, and the change made for Bitcoin Cash allowed transactions to happen quicker. But it was such a big change that it had to make its own uh, new currency. In October 2017, uh, Bitcoin forked again into old uh, the old Bitcoin and Bitcoin Gold. And Bitcoin Gold made it easier for the average Joe to mine Bitcoins. Um, but it's not it's not exactly necessary to get into how Bitcoin mining works. Again, that would be too big of a, of a rabbit trail for this episode. In May 2018, Mark Zuckerberg announced the creation of a new cryptocurrency, Libra. The name would later be changed to Diem, however. Facebook teamed up with 27 other institutions together called the Libra Association, now the Diem Association, and the project fi- officially began on June 18, 2019. Interestingly, the project to create Diem is led by David Marcus, a former executive of PayPal. In his initial statement about what was then called Libra, Mark Zuckerberg never directly called it a cryptocurrency. This was probably to frame it as not just another altcoin. Also, Libra is partly backed by the dollar, the euro, and the British pound, and it gets pretty complicated after that. 
Maybe it's an effort to create a one-world currency. Diem runs on its own version of blockchain, which they say is better and faster. I don't think it's hit the market yet. The date keeps getting pushed back. Um, and to finish, I'll make a prediction about how the future of cryptocurrencies will land. And I wrote an essay about this uh, this spring, which is turning into summer because you listen to this podcast. And at the beginning, I talked about how um, of the established economy is built on Keynesian principles, um, but you can't undo the system based around debt. Also, as I talked about in the fractional reserve banking episode, bankers have got themselves in an untouchable spot. And to stay in that spot, you may have heard of FedCoin. Um, there have been some rumors about it, but it would be the quote-unquote cryptocurrency version of the dollar created by the Federal Reserve. And for all those who don't know the difference, FedCoin would work the same way under the hood as the dollar does. I really hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, don't listen to the next episode just yet. I'd appreciate if you could take just 10 seconds to rate or write a review for The History Of. It really does make the episodes better. And if you think you have a friend who might enjoy this podcast, tell them about The History Of, their new favorite podcast, and you might just make their day. I'd like to thank you all for your gracious, loyal support. And until the next one, I'm Robert Lakatosh. Thanks for listening.